Up in the sky! It's a bird! It's a plane! It's your friendly neighborhood Spider-Man! And just like that, the Watching Comics Podcast is back where we bring you the most trusted takes and opinions on the intersection of comic book entertainment hitting both your big and small screens because it's the 21st century and watching comics is literally a thing. It's an exciting time to be alive. My name is Mitch. My co-host is Jake. And all I have to say is life is good, but it could be better. (laughs) Straight from the monkey's paw monkeys dude well you tweeted that out i got so happy <laughs> it's like this is like the most on-brand thing for you to tweet <laughs> i was like it had just left my mouth in my in my bedroom my wife and i were watching the movie you know what was it the night of christmas we had just finished everything with the family and it the word monkey paw had just left my mouth when steve trevor said it, it was like crap man i thought it was on to something <laughs> figured it out i had put the whole thing together early and then it was like oh well there it is steve steve I, figured it out too i seriously don't want to see him in a dc comic ever again without some sort of like garish purple cape with a disfigured hand on the back of it like he is the monkey's paw now and forever i don't care what shenanigans he gets up to max <laughs> lord is dead long live the monkey's paw that is him i think that is a fair expectation to have so <laughs> I know that the uh, DC higher-ups are listening to this podcast. Please take notes, and you know what we expect to see in 2021. Thank you very much. Um, Thank you. So there it is. Jake, how how were the holidays? How were they to you and your fam? Man, so good. Um, I I have made a tradition. You know, when I I got old enough that the world didn't just gift me a couple of weeks off in late December, early January, I kind (laughs) of looked around. When you had your big boy pants on. Right. Well, I just took them right back off again. And I said, I'll just save the vacation days. And so I actually make a tradition of taking a couple of weeks off, you know, work allowing, there's been exceptions. Um, And yeah, it's been, so I'm just coming off of that. And it's been really nice. I'm, I'm loose. I'm relaxed. I expect it to last all of 48 more hours. <laughs> I was going to say, um, you, so- you sound <laughs> rested. It's, it's a rare thing. Yeah, well, I, yeah, I, I am, you know, and so that's good stuff, man. I'm feeling good. How about you guys? How, how are the holidays for you? Not too bad. We did, we did as good as we could, not really going anywhere, but still enjoying the company of our small fam. And, you know, we celebrated. We had, we, um, had great delicious baked goods and yet lots and lots of yummy food. So, I don't know. I feel like we did it upright, and now we're ready to lean into the new year and hope to God that it is better than the one we just finished. <laughs> yeah. I know that that doesn't make me unique, but there we are. No, but no joke, dude. I don't, I don't, you're allowed to not be unique here. I think <laughs> this is one where it's okay. Whew. Oh man. So there it is. Our first episode of 2021, we will be talking about Wonder Woman 1984. But of course, before we dig deeply into that, we just want to say thank you so much to our regular listeners for jumping on board with this podcast. We are coming up on our third year anniversary, which just seems 
wild. Um, but yeah, so thanks for being a part of that. And our, our Twitter following has been growing. Our engagement's been getting higher. And we really love this corner of the internet that we've gotten a chance to kind of plant our flag in. So cheers to the other geek dads and other geekeries out there interacting with us. And of course, if you dig this podcast, give us a like or a rating and review on whatever platform you're listening to us on. It's a very wonderful way for you to pay it forward. And we would be deeply appreciative of that so hit us up on twitter as well at watch comics pod that's comics with an x at watch comics pod um the last bit of housekeeping is hopefully later this month jake and i will have some really exciting stuff to announce as well so watch our twitter listen to our episodes we got some more stuff coming on down the pike but the most important thing right now jake is boy do we have another installment in the dceu and boy were people on the internet talking about it <laughs> you know it's it's like before we even get into my thoughts about the movie I, I took notes you know as as you are more prone to do than me but which i do sometimes when look it's at a you, big look at you being prepared you're like I'm, you're like legit over there well don't get too excited i haven't looked at them since but i took notes on the notepad it just says <laughs> monkey's paw it's i it, you know it's got like three legit thoughts and then it turns into doodles of, uh, of maxwell lord um, fanny packs um yeah so my my thoughts before we even get into the movie and what we thought about it uh, i want to ask first of all in all seriousness is this movie entitled wonder woman 84 or wonder woman 1984 because i have heard and seen both from legitimate sources and i have no idea if there's an official decree or if they're interchangeable that is a good question. So we shall go to one of the few trusted sources that actually exists out there on this here internet. On IMDb, yep. the, pa- the page is Wonder Woman 1984. Correct. And then directly underneath it is a poster that just says WW84. So um, <laughs> the, the, both hashtags on Twitter have the little logo insignia that pops up next to it as well that comes with a branded hashtag. So I think when it comes to um, the proper name for this second installment in the Wonder Woman saga, you go all out. You say Wonder Woman 1984. Perfect. When you're using some shorthand on the internet, I think we have a little bit of branded leeway and that is okay. Yeah, see, this is why you're the MVP. Like, it would be embarrassing to hand out an MVP trophy between the two of us, but it would be you the last couple <laughs> of years. Um, well, I mean, I guess I can just take this moment to say thank you to the Academy for the votes <laughs> and for um, appreciating my performance and thank you to my family. And of course I, I couldn't have done it without them and their undying support and a uh, lack of care for <laughs> my, <laughs> my geekery. And then also I guess coming out number one out of two is just such a who did not see that coming. It's a tight field. And can I also say with three years coming up that this relationship has officially gone longer than any other one except with my wife. So <laughs> uh, here we are so there we um, go uh officially like the second place is in three weeks um so <laughs> we, <laughs> um, we <laughs> uh yeah so my other thing though is um you know it does seem like it, does it seem like somebody at dc can't even flip a script page without the entire internet exploding like people, um, no oh my gosh it, and I'm, again we'll get into the movie but it just seems like like they announced wonder woman 3 got the green light 
and I can hear people cocking guns, right? Like I hear it <laughs> happening in the background. The shells are flying <laughs> out of the barrel. We got two ears to get ready. And it's just, it's insane, man. The response, everybody, I care about this stuff a lot, a lot more than anyone should. So hear it from me, calm down. It's gonna be okay, guys. It really is. I I don't know. Like, I, Jake, we've referenced this before. We try really hard to not um, just be filled with, you know, sarcastic Twitter quips yeah. and, and to feed into toxic fandom. I get that. But at the same time, you also have to acknowledge certain things. And what I'm acknowledging right now, it is really difficult to enjoy the art of film criticism as well as just the general surface level entertainment that both the DCEU and the Star Wars canons provide given the sheer amount of vitriol that just surrounds these things in the online conversation. I, am, I, am I wrong in thinking that those two, I'm speaking in broad generalities, of course, please y'all don't, don't think I'm pointing the finger at you if this doesn't apply to you, but like, am I wrong in thinking that it's just, it's not just walking on eggshells when we're talking about DCEU or Star Wars stuff. It's borderline toxic waste. You need to have your gas mask on, right? No, you're exactly right. And it's like, it, it is, I don't know, man. It, it's seriously, if, if you're listening, you know, if you've listened before and you're listening still, I'm going to assume, and this is me patting us on the back. So maybe I shouldn't be giving us that credit, but <laughs> this, is, going, this is Jake stroking our collective egos here. <laughs> yeah, here it comes. Uh, I'm going to assume that you're not part of that problem. If you hung around because we gen, we generally don't have a lot of like, not to be rude, but we don't have a lot of welcoming words for that element, you know? Um, so I'm going to assume that you're not part of that problem, but if somehow you are, you know, check yourself, think about it. Guys, we're about to spend 40 or so more minutes of my Monday night dishing on this movie, breaking it down, talking about it in our very unexpert opinions. And you know what? <laughs> it's still not that big a deal, guys. Like, don't, don't lose sleep over it. Don't let it mess with your day. Come on, it's gonna be okay. It's just interesting to see, and and we'll see where it all lands. I Wonder Woman nineteen eighty four. This this movie, as we said a few episodes ago, when it was announced that this movie was going to be hitting streaming platforms the day it was released, I, this movie was going to be a thing, and I think it was going to be wildly successful no matter what, given the you know standards and success that the first one carried. So, Jake, why don't you talk to me about that? Why don't you take me in from you've we know what the first Wonder Woman was. Why don't you take me into what your expectations were for this movie, WW84, and why, why don't you take me into what those expectations were and then take me into whether that delivered or not, just kind of in a brief bit here. Oh, man, this is such a good question. I love the way you're framing this, may I just say. This is, again, number one out of two right there. Um, <laughs> I'm just here to set the table, man. You're, you said it very nicely. And now I will do that thing where you pull the tablecloth out from under it. So, um, <laughs> I, you know, let me start by saying my expectations were sky high, um, which might not be fair. No, I don't know anything. how they couldn't be. And that just it, because Wonder Woman is, is the original Wonder Woman it, prior to this movie's release, you know, without going into how I felt yet. Uh, it, we come in and we've got, this is a sequel to, I think you'd be hard pressed to say there's a better DCEU film. 
um spoiler really, alert i said i said that on our previous episode where i literally ranked the first wonder woman yes. movie number one in the canon like that and you're that's exactly it. right there you know you speak for both of us on that part and I, I think that it would be difficult to argue there's a better one and i really have not seen anyone do it successfully so that being said i've i've been pretty vocal that i felt pretty let down by the ending of that movie and that doesn't mean i don't like the movie you know i still think it's a great film I felt like the ending kind of fell apart. We're, we've read some things now. It might have been our old friend Studio Meddling getting involved there. Mm. Um, oh, those Meddling Studios. Right? Oh, boy. Uh, this one smells like it's only going to make $150 million opening weekend. We better get involved. Um, <laughs> so, uh, I, so all that to say, to my mind, I looked at the scenario and I said, okay, you've got a, a brand in... <laughs> in limbo let's say limbo you've got a brand in limbo with the dceu and you've got this one sure thing from the last round and you've got the same creative team coming back now they've got the bank account to prove that they know what they're doing to the studio people i thought there's no way this isn't the best dc movie period because we're going to fix what didn't work for me about the first one. That's kind of the expectation I brought in. Um, as far as did it live up to that, I don't think it did, but I'm going to need about 30 more minutes to elaborate because that's not necessarily the end of the world doesn't mean I hated it, right? Mm. Interesting. Yeah, I find myself to be kind of in that middle spot too, where there are clear, and we'll get into this, but there are clearly some things about this movie that worked for me that I thought yeah. were home runs. And then there were things about this movie that were just such glaring misfires that it almost felt like it undid some of the great progressive stuff that the first one established. I mean, we'll get into that more specifically, but I did, I did do this. I think I've mentioned on this podcast before that I went to go see the first Wonder Woman movie in theaters with my late mother. And it was a, it was a special experience. Um, my mother and I just always, I grew up going to the movie theater with my mother. That was something we would do together. And um, we wanted to go see this one together. And, and we both were not only wildly entertained with it, but it was a meaningful thing for her. And I, 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 I stand in, remembering the no man's land sequence which stands to be one of the best sequences ever captured in comic book film period and and remember watching my mother watch that for the first time and watching her be moved to to literal tears to to see something so progressive and poetic and well shot done and seeing Diana go in and lead the charge and save the day to that degree, right? Like that, that is the emblematic expression of that movie and, and, and raising two daughters in a world where this movie exists. Like the first Wonder Woman movie is wildly entertaining. It is a fantastically well-made movie. I even made the case for it being nominated for best picture of the year it came out. And, and on top of the fact of everything that the movie stands for, right? So for me, it's really hard not to then take that same standard, that measuring stick, and share it with the second movie. And I think that's where my disappointment lies in the points of the movie that didn't live up to expectations for me. Because it's, I don't know if that makes me 
fair or unfair to say I had this existing measuring stick and had in my head every reason to believe that this sequel could at least at minimum meet that. And even though there are components of this movie that I absolutely loved, it still felt fell incredibly short. And so I don't know if disappointed is the right word, but that's the one I keep coming back to. Is that fair to say? Yeah, I think that's fair. And I think that if I may be so bold, I think that what you and I are going to struggle to do over the next stretch of time here is we're going to continue trying to find ways to say that we felt disappointed without saying we hated it, it's terrible, and joining in with the mass of people screaming insane things. Exactly, and, right? Like, and I think what we're going to try to do is find a way to criticize the film without tearing it down. I'm certainly going to try. And I, and I know that you are certainly yeah. going to be as, 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 as respectful as you possibly can be. We, that's what we aim for here. But like, th- how many times have we said this on this show, Jake? We're like, I'm sitting here looking at the IMDb rating and it's a 5.5 out of 10. And that feels a bit harsh, but I also understand yeah. that like, it's certainly not deserving of a 7.5, you know? So like, I, it, it, I, I'm floating somewhere in the middle because I think the issue is, is this movie got a few things really well done, but when it misfired, it misfired to a massive degree. But first let's talk about what we liked. Okay. Let's, let's do that. Let's set the tone with a little bit of positivity here. Um, Jake, pick one or two things that you dug or that maybe surprised you about this movie. And then I'll share some too. I think by far my favorite thing about this movie is the, Richard Donner golden age of superhero film vibe that it went for. Mm-hmm. And I think that there was an, a, there was an attempt here to do a lot of different things. And one of the things that was attempted that I think they nailed it on was that tone of, of hopefulness and that tone of that at the core of a good DC story, right? And this is where DC needs to find its way back to as a company. And I don't just mean as far as movies, comics, in all entertainment. I wish DC could tap back into their core where DC Comics at the end of the day is about the belief that through these larger than life deity characters, we are shown a glimpse of what humans are capable of Mm. and this unfailing belief in the goodness and the ultimate triumph of that goodness of humanity is at the core of dc even when it's buried under 20 years of identity crisis and nolan-esque growling and bullcrap like that at its very core that is dc and This movie understood that in a way that no film has since Christopher Reeves was Superman. Mm. And it nailed that element of it. And I commend that so much. And I hope that when they do a postmortem on this thing and try to figure out where they can improve, I hope that that baby does not get thrown out with the bathwater. I think that's an excellent point and the perfect way to set the whole thing up. Because that's exactly what 
it's pretty overt to me. That's exactly what Patty Jenkins is clearly after with both of these movies, right? Like the, the voiceover that, that opens and closes both movies are very much of the same ilk. The concept of like in the first one, you know, it's all about like seeing the world as it ought to be and wanting to protect every, every living and beautiful thing. And then the second one is all about like, can't we just let love heal our fractured world, which feels really hallmark because it is, but that's also what Golden Age DC is all about. Yeah. And that's, and that's certainly the backbone of Donner Superman. And, and when you bring that up, I mean, th- that is in the circles of Twitter conversation of people advocating for why Wonder Woman 1984 is a good movie. That is what was being recalled, which is it's a source of light at a time when we really needed it. And it is a source of what made Donner's Superman movie great. This, this reaches for that. I don't think it hit it at the same peak but it clearly reaches for it and lands in some degree and that is that is certainly commendable and seems to be consistent with some of the strongest qualities of the source material absolutely yeah and i so i think for me that tone that golden age feel spot on perfect loved it keep it don't lose it hang on to that vibe when making the film for number three. I think also I'm going to say while some of them were not given a lot of material to work with, I felt all of the performances were good. And I bought in to, even when they were campy, I bought into, you know, we've talked about that camp is an art that holy, it is so holy hard. cow did they really lean into this here and and, yes. and I, I think that has more to do with jeff johns and boy are we gonna get to him later but um oh, jeff yeah geez jeff man um anyway i i was i will say i was shocked i don't know if i was shocked in a negative way but i was definitely shocked at just how like golden age and how campy they really went in with this movie just because the first one was not you know, and the thing is, and I'm just going to call it, Max Lord was so campy. And a character that in DC lore represents everything that is the opposite of that. I don't know how intentional that was to pick this character and t- turn him into a Saturday morning villain. Um, I-, I don't know if that was a deliberate trying to seize a legacy and change it the way that, you know, you kind of saw Marvel do with Carol Danvers once upon a time. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know. Not that that's, you know, it's kind of apples <laughs> think, to oranges. Although but. you you could easily, I'm, not that it's a competition, but you could easily make the case that Pedro Pascal was the one that threaded that needle the most beautifully. Like he, he turned oh, his, yeah. perfor- he turned his performance up to 11 in a way that leaned into the campiness of this golden age movie so beautifully that the very second he was on screen, I instantly knew exactly what he was going for. And it was, it was toothy. It was, it was like chocolate cake, but at the same time, it never felt like it was out of place or too much for the arena of which he was playing. And that is, I don't know. That tells me that he was completely aware of what he was doing and leaned into it in the best way possible. Well, it was, it was, it was Hackman-y, right? Like right away I saw, okay, so he watched Gene Hackman do Lex Luthor about 500 times. And it wasn't, it wasn't derivative. It was like Gene Hackman meets Tony Robbins. 
Yeah, it wasn't derivative of it. It was it was almost an homage to it. Mm-hmm. And that's that's a, again, like you said, threading that needle. And camp is an art. Kudos to Pedro. This is the year of Pedro, man. That Dude, he's, guy, he's bringing it. I I, I thought I felt like maybe this is unfair for me to say i felt like pedro pascal did everything that tom hardy tried to do in venom right oh that's so good that's such a good observation like like if you want if you want to know what because the way you say it is perfectly camp can be an art form if you want to know what swinging for the fences and striking out with the bases loaded looks like for camp as an art form it's tom hardy and venom if you want to know what it's like to hit the home run to win the world series for camp as an art form i feel like pedro pascal and Kristen wig in this movie can be point a point b okay so okay i, I want to hear what you liked about it before you, you, i almost segued into something else i, I want to hear what did you like about it what's good okay. what worked for you the, the biggest thing for me was what you've already alluded to the the four titular characters or i should say three the three three of the four titular characters performances were were just fan freaking tastic for me chris pine Kristen wig pedro pascal so we'll start with chris pine but can we just officially for the sake of our podcast say that he wins the chris wars like Chris Pine. Oh yeah. Chris Pine has that Tom Hanks charisma with young Harrison Ford acting action chops. And he's just like a perfect love child between those two energies. And the guy knows how to deliver lines and chew scenery. And he also knows how to anchor an action movie. So Chris Pine belongs on the screen and the dude just brought it. But like Chris, this movie, as far as I'm concerned, was a showcase for Barbara Minerva and Maxwell Lord. It was kind of almost what we talk about with Batman Returns, where it's not quite completely subversive in how we get the villainry, and I think gets it better than it doesn't. And Kristen Wiig was a perfect encapsulation of that golden age campiness, but slightly humanized stakes. Like, the reason she wants to do what she ends up doing is a little silly. Like, I don't get to eat at the cool kid's table at lunch. But at the same time, you believed it with the way she wrapped up the character, and it made sense in the zany arena that this movie was building for us. And Pedro Pascal was just like, gosh, dude, I almost think he's worthy of an Academy Award because it was so believable but so elaborate at the same time. He was winking at us without us ever feeling like it was phony, you know? I I felt like I was in on it. Completely in on it. Yeah. It was like what we talked about with Sean Connery, where it's like he's both aware of the joke and also supersedes it at the same time. And Kristen Wiig, Pedro Pascal, anchor this whole thing, and Chris Pine does exactly what he needs to be doing in this movie. So I would say those three were were my biggest wonderful takeaway of this movie. Can I jump in for just a second and thank you for the Batman Returns analogy? Because (laughs) I actually got rid of, I, I erased out of my notes a Batman Returns comment because I couldn't think how to form the thought Mm. because I didn't think it was a one-to-one comparison, but I saw shades of it. And you completed a sentence for me there. Thank you so much. (laughs) We're completing each other's thoughts now, Jake. This really is a real relationship. It really is. Well, you know, we're three years in, man. It's, uh, (laughs) you know, you better put a ring on it, dude, uh, (laughs) because we've been here a while. Um, (laughs) It's getting weird. Um, I think, (laughs) yeah, I think there's definitely though, yeah, they didn't go the full Batman Returns on it, but there's definitely an element of it where it was a little bit a villain-driven narrative. 
And, and, and anytime, yeah. and it also speaks to the casting choices, right? Like yeah. anytime Wig or Pascal were on screen, I was, I felt more glued to my TV, right? Like I was, I was more interested. I was leaning in a little bit more. I stopped munching on my loud snacks quite as much. You know what I mean? Like I was, I was really invested in watching their acting choices and seeing how they were going to evolve in this um, grandiose playground. And that, that became almost the fun part of the game with me, right? And watching this movie was like, okay, I want to see how Wig and Pascal lean into this. Cause clearly 10 minutes into this movie, you're like, okay, they're good. They're going camp with this. I was surprised. I was a little off put, but they were going with it. And, and, and if nothing else, you can say that they, they really stayed true to the tone. And so the, the movie then just became a lot about like watching how Wig and Pascal could one up their previous bits in each new moment they had on screen. And, and then, and then playing that game with myself of feeling like, okay, am I still bought in or did that go too far? And that was kind of fun. Do you think, you know, you, you hit on something there. Do you think some of the, visceral response this film has gotten is because in some ways we got the rug pulled out from under us with this thing because I did not expect this level of camp Mm, and I don't know anyone who did and I mean this is a movie that you know I was just thinking like 45 days ago I wasn't I was making jokes about it's never going to be released and then all of a sudden they're like hey it's coming in a few weeks and and all that to say Somehow they kept a lid on this thing for months and maybe even years about just how campy it was. Mm -hmm. And I wonder if people, you know, expecting a certain tone out of DC films, expecting a certain tone from the first Wonder Woman film, did people maybe just feel a little bit hoodwinked here? That's got to be part of it. Um... I, I, I mean, not to I, justify I, some of the more intense reactions, well, no, but to just I, talk about how it got to a 5.5. Well, I think, well, one is they completely, man, what's the right way to say this? They regressed Diana's character to a horrible degree, but we'll yes. get to that later. Um, I think part of it is what you talked about, kind of the the jarring aspect of that reveal. I And, and then some of this too, I've seen this, talked about in some corners of the internet that I think I agree with, which is the concept of how we consumed this movie too, right? Um, It's safe to say that the bulk of the American audience watched this on their couch on a streaming service all relatively at the same time, rather than having to go to the cinema and catch it when you can. And I think that brings with it a little bit of gotcha attitude and just a twinge of entitlement. Like we've got to consider the fact that the medium of which people were delivered this movie changes the conversation a little bit because now all of a sudden we were a whole bunch of people watching it comfortably on our couches on Christmas day. And it became this cool thing to kind of dunk on the movie rather than get excited about the anticipation share the photos of of the little kids in the lobby of the cinema staring at the poster and saying these movies matter and getting inspired and having a collective experience and seeing the chatter grow from 
early embargoed um, reviews to the people that go and see it on opening night to a couple weeks later, more people have seen it. And then we see these growing trends and everything. But instead, what we had was all of the quote unquote film bros, for lack of a better term, watching it at the same time and saying, I've got my Twitter takes ready. Maybe that's an oversimplification, but I do think that could speak to some of it in addition to the surprising factor of, I don't think anybody saw this level of camp coming. Does any does, does that kind of connection between the two seem fair? Not only does it make sense and seem fair, it expands a bit for me on our conversation a few weeks ago about um, about putting it into oh gosh, the, the, I'm trying to think how to phrase this. Uh, the streaming, sorry, the mm-hmm. streaming and the decision to make it a streaming film. Uh, you know, it, it makes me think a little bit out loud about. Studios have had a century to perfect the art of the conversation with their audience in a theater. Absolutely. And I'm I'm not trying to be cynical about that, although I think there's a cynical part of me that wants to say, well, they know how to advertise to manipulate us and this and that. But the reality is that art, you know, once you put it out there for consumption, the art becomes a conversation. And and, and that's not, you know, much smarter people me have debated artists intent versus audience interpretation i don't know but there is a conversation being had and studios have perfected that they know how to how to guide the conversation they know how to lay expectations at our feet they know and once in a while they get it wrong but for the most part we know they know what they expect from us we know it's expected from us and we know how to engage with media that way streaming is still so new that they don't seem to really know that yet. And I think that this is one where the conversation got away from them. It did. And, and, and the concept of getting there first and being that, that gotcha type of moment, right? Like yeah. that's, that's half of what, what um, conversation around mainstream entertainment on the internet is anymore. And, and, and this movie was dropped right in the middle of that without any sort of buffer to help set the table before the gloves were completely off, right? It was like this movie got dropped in the middle of the gladiator arena. And instead of getting all the different obstacles one at a time to see how long it could last and how it could fight every single one of them off, they just opened up all the gates and all the tigers came out all at once for this thing. And then we just said, okay, whatever's left of the rubble afterwards is going to be kind of the lasting legacy of this movie. Maybe that's an unfair um, analogy to make, but it seems, seems, at least on Christmas Day, that's a lot of what happened. Yeah, no, I'm I'm right there with you, man. Okay, so let's let's pivot here um, because there are, there's good merit to this movie and there's some good entertainment value to this movie. But we've alluded to it before, and we're certainly not the first ones to allude to it either. This movie also has some problematic areas, although they may not be high in number. They are quite hefty in influence and scope and it's impo- i don't know it's impossible for me to talk about this movie without addressing some of those things so um jake why don't you unpack for me something that didn't work for you for this movie and, and then i'll share something i think man this is so this is tough for me because there's a big conversation about this about wonder woman that to me this just isn't the right venue to have that conversation. But I don't know how to do this without skirting it. So I want to say, I do think, and you started to touch on it. I, 
I, I hate, I love that we got more Steve Trevor. I love that we got more Chris Pine. I hate that so much of Diana's arc in this was about how badly she wants him back. And I, I felt like, I felt like it reduced the character a little bit. And I don't know, maybe I'm not being fair there. And that's not all there was to the character. It certainly wasn't, I don't know if you, how many Game of Thrones fans listen, but I, I was indignant and outraged at what Brienne of Tarth ended the show, gripping her pearls in the rain while her man ran away. And it wasn't that, but I just... It, it kind of was. <laughs> <laughs> I, okay, I, your silence had me worried that like we weren't tracking on this. No, 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 we're, we're tracking. I, this, is, this is exactly what we need to unpack. And, and, and I They even, gave her more than that. Like, I don't want to be unfair to the fact I don't, that... Dude, I don't know. Like, I... <laughs> I'll be completely honest. I want to shout out to my good friend, uh, Deidre, fellow cinema lover. We were going back and forth about the concept of just like how much regression did they do with Diana in this movie? Because everything that was the shattered the glass ceiling of it all with the first movie, they, it seemed, it seemed like they just consolidated everything up in the second movie into Diana is only motivated by landing herself a man and having the man explain every complex thing to her in order for the movie to make sense and for the plot to move along. And that just undoes every good thing that we thought the first movie was representing, does it not? Well, and, and I think where it crossed the line for me, and, and mind you, you know, sitting here as a man. So what do I know? Okay, right. so everybody feel... We're, we're, two, we're two white dudes trying to bring the feminism level up into this movie here, and, right. and I don't know if we're succeeding or not. Look, all, all I want is to not be one of the psychos, okay? So if, if as long as I'm not, you know, foaming at the mouth about, um, you know, men's rights, I'm, I'm feeling like I did okay enough. But if I'm off base here, people, come talk to me. I want to know. All that to say, where it seemed to cross a line for me into that regression territory was that she needed him to set her free on this matter and that until he explained yeah explained it for her and i mean well like in the in the first movie right the love connection is there they yeah. fall in love they become an item but you know what that love never blinds her from the true motivation and the true priority, which is defending the human race, winning the war, defeating Ares, right? There are multiple times in that movie where you could tell that they were into each other and she even put it in check to say like, no, Steve, we do this anyway because it's the right thing to do. And that was completely, right. that was completely inverted for no good reason in this second movie. Like, I, I can't think of a, of a good reason as to why Diana would just be all googly-eyed and can't see the bigger picture all of a sudden this time. This is a character who is known for, while Batman is planning and Superman is preaching, she snaps a dude's neck. This is a character. I'm not saying it has to be exactly like the comics. I'm saying the DNA of the character is one that is about let's get the frickin' job done. And to to turn this into, yeah, I, I don't know. Well, this, I have a problem with it. I, think I do it, too. Is this, is this where we start to throw Jeff Johns under the bus? Because I'm ready. So talk to me about this. Because there's, yeah, 
give, give me your Jeff Johns take. Okay, so my Jeff Johns take is that he should not be allowed to go near comic book movies and just stick with the CW. Like, um, Jeff Johns has made most of his reputation and most of his money in investing in CW properties, which is fine. That's a completely different arena. They're very successful and they know exactly what they are. But you know what those movies thrive on? The the soap opera effect of everything. And when I see what they did to Diana in this movie, do you know what it reminds me of? It reminds me of, of a janky soap opera love story on like an episode of One Tree Hill or Smallville. Like that's what it sounds like. And I can't help but wonder, I'm not in the writer's room obviously, but I can't help but wonder, Jeff Johns didn't write any part of the script of the first First movie and you know what the love story didn't get in in the way of important character development and important plot devices for the movie jeff johns helped write the script for the second movie and we're sitting here saying what the heck happened to diana like i don't think that's a coincidence my take on jeff johns and this is a this is a guy i mean it's always hard when we start naming names, right? Like I don't want to get, <laughs> I don't want to go like pointing fingers at a real human here. Yeah, so. Maybe I just went too hard on that. But no, I don't know, you man. did not. No, here's the thing. You just got the guts to say it is all. I, <laughs> I'm, here's my thing with Jeff Jones. This is a guy that 10 years ago, I would have told you was one of my very favorite writers in comics. And which is great because he, he, he's, he's, I, I think it's more of a question of what is your, what is your, uh, what is the best playground for you to exactly. unleash your powers in? And exactly. maybe, maybe serial television and comic books is better for him than a major motion picture. But here's the other thing, Mitch, and this is me talking to me, nobody else. At some point, writing the Sinestro Corps war only gets you so far. And at some point, you are now responsible for the things you've done in the last 15 years and not just the peak of your career. And I, I think that the more, you know, and I, I don't, I think, I think we have to also talk about some of what is coming out with the Justice League film that will not coming out, but some of the, the things being suggested there that went on. And I think what we're seeing is in Jeff Johns, a guy who's just in over his head. Hmm. And I think that what we're seeing is somebody, because when I read some of these things, and I'm, I'm, I may be getting way out of my depth here, but I don't read somebody who is maliciously trying to wreck things and hurt people. I read somebody who doesn't have control and who is not 100% sure of himself. And I see a different direction for the entire, because he's he was supposed to kind of godfather he was supposed to be the Kevin Feige for DC films mm-hmm. was the goal there. And whereas Feige's had this really clear vision from day one, it seems like with every other movie, Jeff Johns has a whole new vision and direction for things. And I just see somebody who is out of his league, who is lost in the woods and just doesn't really have control of what's going on around him. And the, 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 the lo- it's, it's very Ryan Murphy esque where the log line of the movie is a whole lot better than the detailed execution. <laughs> yeah. Like if you, if you were to tell me, okay, he, he walks in to a room full of studio heads and says, okay, 
We're going to go throwback. We're going to drop her in the middle of the 80s, and Kristen Wiig and Pedro Pascal are going to be the villains. We're going to have fanny packs and ultraviolet lights, and it's going to be great. You know oh, what? sold me really quickly. If I am in that meeting, I sign that check 11 times out of 10, no problem. Um, but the execution is a completely different thing. And that's exactly what happens with Ryan Murphy properties too. Right. And, and maybe that's what, what Jeff Johns is struggling with, but I guess what gets me so heated on it is that because I can't, I come back to this, I can't help, but look at, would we be thinking differently about this movie? If the first wonder woman movie didn't exist, the first wonder woman movie was just such an accomplishment on both a, industry and social consciousness level as well as a purely comic book movie level right and i can't, i don't know it, it feels almost impossible for me to not bring some of that positive baggage in with me to this second movie and i watch it and i sit here thinking like i don't want everything that I loved about the first movie with Diana's character to be undone just because we felt like we needed to make this a relatable love story in order for it to be appealing. Maybe I'm oversimplifying it, but that's just kind of where I've landed now. It feels like, it feels like 1984 studio sensibilities where they said, we need the guys to bring their girlfriends. So we need to put a love story in. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it just, I don't know. I think I'm going to start talking in circles if I go much longer. I, I think wanna, that's fair. I'm just going to say it. I, I think we regressed a character. I think that it's a shame. And I hope that, I hope we can write the ship on that for mm -hmm. Wonder Woman 3. We need to. We absolutely need to. And I do want to shout out to one thing, because this is a concept I've alluded to, but it's not my own. Um, Alicia Gar Garuso, I believe is how you say her name. She, uh, on her Twitter, she is uh, an editorial writer and is uh, got an incredible Twitter presence and far more intelligent and popular than I am. It, she said this perfectly. She says, whispers. Can we talk about how a recurring theme in the Wonder Woman movies is that Diana isn't able to figure out major things about herself until her boyfriend tells her how to do it or who she should be? And especially in the second movie, I don't know if there is a better thesis statement for why I wanted better for Diana's character. That's really well said. Of course, Alicia Garusa, well done. Thank you for, for elevating our conversation with that. Um, so the, the last thing I want to allude to here about the problematic nature of this movie, Jake, and man, this is delicate stuff. I, I do want to set the table here one more time and just say, Jake and I are both white guys who recognize that whether we ask for it or not have lived lives of more inherent privilege than an awful lot of other people that look, live different, look, live and believe differently than we do. I understand that. I acknowledge that. And I'm comfortable in saying that Jake and I are doing our very best in almost every aspect of our lives to try to um, tip the scales to be more equal in any capacity that we can. But I do want to say there's an editorial or, or, or a review of this movie on Slate that came out right after by Roxana Haddadi. Um, and, and she is an incredible film and pop culture critic. She is um, uh, 
writes for Slate, writes for a lot of other platforms, and is much more talented than I am and much more attuned to speak to these sorts of things than we are. But she, she is incredibly um, well thought out and, and intelligent and wrote this piece on Slate about how Wonder Woman's Middle Eastern stereotypes should have stayed in the 1980s. And again, Roxana Haddadi, look her up, hit her up on Twitter, read this piece. We've tweeted it out. If you aren't going to read any other piece about 1984, please read this one. It is the most important one. She is qualified to speak to these things about the racial imbalance represented here, the stereotypes that are problematic about the dangers of negative representation and, and the rig- religious ramifications of it all. She can speak to it much more intelligently than we can, and she is qualified to do so. But she points out a lot of blatant things here. We're basically... Um, the writers of this movie really just reached for the most convenient and lazy stereotypes you could possibly have with the Middle Eastern and Egyptian components of this movie. And it's, I feel like that's an important piece to at least acknowledge and say that if we are going to talk about the problems of this movie, you have to talk about the fact that they had an opportunity to really do representation right. And they didn't. And what Roxana says here is 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 so good she called it reckless ignorance i believe um or recklessly ignorant um and and i do just want to read a couple of lines here this is how she closes her piece and i want to say this because this says it way better than i can way better than i could even attempt to so i'm quoting here the closing paragraph of roxana's um, piece on slate To see Wonder Woman 1984 so committed to world building when it comes to the Amazonian island nation of Tismikura and so enamored of its message of honesty as a great unifier, continue the othering of cultures and peoples long deserved and mischaracterized by Western cinema is a reminder of the hollow promises of representation as offered by the corporate entertainment behemoths pouring hundreds of millions of dollars into these films. There should be more to inclusion than the superficial morsels of WW84 ultimately offers, which are awkwardly executed across the board, putting dreadlocks on an Indian actor playing a Mayan character, making a black homeless man a representation of Minerva's conscience, indulging in the neon fashions and synthy sounds of the decade is harmlessly silly nostalgia, but the film's embrace of the Mina stereotypes of the 1980s is recklessly ignorant. Racism didn't need a 2020 comeback. Um, that is, that is some fiery, fiery language from someone who is uniquely qualified and attuned and sensitive to these things and a voice that we should be listening to as far as I am concerned. Here, here. And I, I will simply say, um, for my part that, uh, you know, Mitch and I, we talked before about how to address that. We felt that it was important that it come up but we felt that it was important that it not be our perspective, but that of somebody more qualified. Uh, so I just say that Mitch reads from that on our behalf. And mm-hmm. uh, we, you know, I, I think it speaks for itself. I won't try to elaborate on what someone else has said better than me. Fair. Totally fair. Cause I, again, we're a couple of white guys trying to do the right thing, but also recognize that we don't do the right thing more often. And, and, and that's a shame. <laughs> and so Circling the wagons back, Jake, I, 
the two glaring issues we have with this movie feel exactly that they feel glaring i don't know i've had a week to sit on this and it's hard for me to appreciate the good things about this movie as much as i want to appreciate them because this movie is problematic more than just mere entertainment value you know what i mean no i think i think you're right about that i think you know and here's I'm going to be that guy and I'm going to say everything that we have said over the last 45, 50 minutes is 100% true. But at the very core of this is also there's a secondary issue and I do believe it's secondary, but I also believe that it has greatly complicated the matter for the public relations nightmare that this movie is having in that it just struggles to be entertaining the whole time. Mm. And I don't, I don't mean any of that to sideline the regression of Diana or any, that's all the first and foremost stuff. But if the movie had been moving at a good pace, had kept me riveted. Two hours and 31 minutes is a lot. Here's the thing, man. I'm not saying it's a bad scene, but I kept waiting for some kind of a reference to that opening scene where she's a little girl and I kept waiting, like, okay, how are we going to call back to this? And then at the end, I'm like, wait a second. Were we just trying to justify a Robin Wright cameo? Because that's cool and all. I it love was, Robin it was Wright, that, but we could have done it five other ways. It was a Robin Wright cameo and the one line about the truth that they paid lip service to one other time towards the end of the movie. <laughs> that's exactly. And it's not, like, it's not a bad scene. It just, it, there was a, there's an editorial decision there that is confusing to me. <laughs> and I, so I say all that to say at the core of all of this is that the movie isn't bad, but it can be a bit of a snoozer sometimes. Mm-hmm. And all of that, you know, it's, it's like, I don't know if you were in the room when uh, some friends that I won't throw under the bus here and, and we would talk about, you know, man, let's hypothetically, let's say there were people working at school we didn't like. Um, we would talk about, you know, you can be bad at your job or you can be a real butthole, but you can't be both. Mm. And I feel in some ways like this movie, it's like you can regress your cause or you can be boring, but you can't be both. Mm. And somehow, and I'm not saying like, I'm not trying to say it would have been okay for them to regress the cause if the movie were better. I am saying from the standpoint of how the movie has been received, I think that they kind of shot themselves in both feet and now they don't have anything to stand on. That's an apt way to put it. And I appreciate you laying it out that way. And, and I'm also like, maybe this is just so small potatoes, but I'm also a little, I'm a little sad that because of those mistakes that this movie has made, I don't know two, three, five, seven, ten 10 years from now, are we going to be able to feel comfortable looking back at things like Pedro Pascal and Kristen Wiig's performances and feel as endeared by them as we want to be too? Like maybe that's part of my disappointment with this movie is I, I genuinely appreciated and was entertained by what Pedro and Kristen brought to this arena and they were the winners of this movie for me. And I want to be able to look back on this movie three years from now and say, yes, I like revisiting those two. And I just don't know 
if I'm gonna feel like I can say that in good conscience because even though there were only a few missteps with this movie, the lines in the sand that were crossed were leapt over, not just merely crossed. That, yeah, yeah, leapt across the lines. And I wonder myself, how's this thing going to age? And it's going to be interesting. And holy cow, the conversation around the third one is going to be, I feel like it's going to be a little bit more electro charged, even leading up to it than, than even before we have the movie released. It's going to be oh very interesting. Yeah. We've got two, two extremes here in the first two movies and, and the third one is happening and I'm optimistic about it, but it is don't, it is going to be a thing and words are going to be said. I it's, I'm really intrigued to see yeah what's going to happen here. Mm. Wonder Woman 1984. It is here. It has arrived. And well, we've all watched it. And uh, yeah, we did our best to, to have a high class conversation around it. But be sure to hit us up on Twitter and let us know what you think. Um, what points did we miss? Um, what, what is it about this movie that worked that didn't work? This movie has such a huge conversation surrounding it. And we want to be part of having a good lucid conversation about it because I feel like that's part of what we're here to do. Um, but anyway, yeah, so we are at Watch Comics Pod. That's comics with an X at Watch Comics Pod on Twitter. Hit us up. Let us know what you thought about Wonder Woman 1984. But that is it for this particular installment. Um, thank you so much, listeners, for jumping on board as always. We do want to give a shout out to the Geek Dad Podcast Network. It is a wonderful place to call home. We love being a part of that crew out there. If you feel like giving us a rate or review on whatever pod platform you're listening to us on, we would greatly appreciate it. And we promise to give you a lifetime supply of free high five as a uh, gift in return who can say no to that deal so yeah next week we will be coming at you hopefully uh, with our definitive thoughts on the HBO edition of Watchmen been a long time coming on that one Jake is chomping at the bit (laughs) it's gonna happen finally so um, yeah thank you all for listening everybody we will be coming at you next week with some more awesome stuff talk to you then this podcast has been a production of the geek dad podcast network if you've enjoyed this content please consider supporting us at patreon.com slash geek dad